0: eyes express. his eyes are mercy his word is rest for each tomorrow Are there burdens in your heart? Is your past a memory that binds you? Is there some pain that you've carried for too long? Then strengthen your heart with his good news there is a savior and he's forgiven you there is a savior what joy a mercy Away, Are there burdens in your heart? Is your past a memory that binds you? Is there some pain that you've carried far too long? then strengthen your heart with his good news oh there is a savior and he's forgiven you there is a savior and he's forgiven you
1: Happy Sabbath. It's Good to see each of our family members here today, those who are here. And those, a lot of them, um, if they're sick or gone, sometimes they'll be watching us online. So we welcome them online as well. And also for those who are able to be here for visiting uh, beautiful Port Angeles. What a place to come and, and uh, vacation. There's a couple things I just wanted to quickly and unfortunately, I wasn't in here during the, the announcements, but um, I just want to because I know there was a, several of that weren't out here in the announcements also, that um, we're going to be doing some prayer meetings on Wednesday nights, And in the bulletin here, you have the various homes that they will be located in, and some of the, the things that they'll be studying about and the nights. And so next week, there's going to be a sign-up sheet. If you'd like to think about that, pray about that, and be a part of that, please um, feel free to, um, do we already have it out there? Good, good, good. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be actually leaving uh, Monday morning or Monday afternoon to head over to the Philippines for about eight, nine days. And um, when I get back, uh, I'm looking forward to being a part of that uh, midweek experience. Um, Let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer as we begin today. Dear Lord Jesus, this is the third in a series of sermons on your Holy Spirit. And dear Lord, um, the real power of your Holy Spirit is to convict our hearts. Because there are many voices in this world that are calling for our attention and our devotion. And the Holy Spirit can do something in our life that we in our own selves cannot do. And so we pray even just right now in this precious hour of, of, of worship that we might hear from you and that you might move us into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with you and we'll give you the glory, honor, and praise, Jesus, in your precious name, amen. Amen. In 1994 my wife and I moved to Redmond, Washington. And if you've never been to Redmond, it is the Microsoft ghetto especially in the 90s, you know when the dot coms were coming up and Microsoft was splitting their stocks and wow, you would go into a cul-de-sac and there would be these homes multi-million dollar homes one after another in just a cul-de-sac, doors that were 12 feet high. It was just the most incredible, lavish kind of environment, and, um, and I was pastoring in Redmond in those years, in the 90s, um, and it was quite an experience, and we did a lot of evangelism in those days, and, and God just really was doing some really amazing things in our little church there in Redmond, Washington. Um, But a year after I arrived, the um, news headlines was captivated by a trial. The trial of O.J. Simpson. Was he guilty or innocent? And I remember going to homes, and we were doing some door-to-door knocking on homes and, and connecting with people. And I remember going to so many homes, and the TV would be going... And, of course, the conversation would always start out about, what do you think? Is he guilty or innocent? And, you know, all these things about the death of his wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and Ron Goldman. And so, as we went through that summer and watched that trial take place, you know, it was um, stated by many people that it was the, the trial, the criminal trial of the century um, Everybody was watching, everyone was glued to their TV, and then on October 3rd, after eight months, not guilty. And there was a lot of things after that that took place. Um... And it just almost, it, it seems to me like when I think back now in retrospect, it was just, you know, and of course I know the 60s were turbulent times too, but it was a very difficult time for our country, and of course there are a lot of, a lot of different things that happened there, but judgment, guilty or innocent. I don't know if you've ever been taken to court before, if you've ever been in court, if you've ever had orange jumpsuit on before. I've never been there. I have. I remember the first time when I was with the police and we, we arrested someone. For the first time I saw someone get arrested and then we took them down to the jail and they have this window and they were booking this guy in. And I was thinking, oh, I would be horrified to be doing this right now if it was me. And this guy was getting booked in jail like he was going to a Holiday Inn. It was no big deal. And it was like, wow, that would just be It would be the end of the world for me if I was being booked into a a jail. You know, it's interesting because judgment is a central issue of the Scriptures. And the court, the heavenly courts, guilt or innocence. And this is a three-part series, and in those three parts we talk about Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's what this last God's Spirit in You part three is dealing with is judgment. Jesus was leaving his disciples and when he he, he knew they were filled with grief. He wanted to give them hope. He wanted to give them something of value. And so he told them, here's my gift I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's going to do three things besides paying attention to me and what I've been doing. But those three things, he's going to make you very aware of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The New International Version of the Bible actually calls the Holy Spirit, instead of a counselor, calls it an advocate, which is a legal term. Judgment, a legal term. These legal proceedings find their way into the courtroom and the advocate is there for us. So in verse 5 through 7, if you want to turn to John chapter 16, because we'll be referring to it quite a bit this morning, John chapter 16 verse 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, very truly. In other words, I'm telling you this. I mean it. I promise this is real. It is good that I am going away unless I go away. The advocate, the counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, Jesus wanted us to know that he was not abandoning us he was sending someone from heaven who would be very intimate with us because where would we find the Holy Spirit living? In us. Jesus did not forget about us in this torn up world where we are experiencing loss in us and confusion and getting beat up by the sting of sin. We have an advocate the Holy Spirit God, to be intimately and constructively living, influencing in a personal and a powerful way in our life. So in verse 8, he begins, Jesus begins to tell us about these three specific convictions. And he, when he comes, will convict the world in respect to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, We know in Scripture, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts and manifested itself, and the, the message of the gospel went out very clearly and rapidly. But in, in many ways, the Holy Spirit comes at different times in people's lives, because the Holy Spirit is not coming into a person's life unless a person invites the Holy Spirit in. So though the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, which was really powerful, The Holy Spirit is making his entrance even today in people's lives. He's he's actively trying to knock on the door and get inside. What is he trying to do in a person's life? He's trying to convince them of three things, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In order to comprehend the enormous value of the cure... You and I must recognize our own lethal condition. As for you, the Bible tells us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. As we talked about in that first sermon, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who is good, not even one. But we also recognized, as we dug into Scripture several weeks back, that sin is not just an action of disobedience. Sin is a condition of disbelief in the one who has provided salvation and redemption. That's why it says very clearly, sin because they don't believe in what I can offer them. They don't believe in what I am about And of course, a person must see himself as God sees him, aware of his lostness and desperate need. That's why John 3, 16 is so beautiful. For God so loved a lost world that he gave his only begotten son. No person is in the condition to be saved who is not first come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that he is lost. He is born dead. No wonder why Jesus came to that that lonely, educated Nicodemus in the dark of night and said to him, you must be born again. Because our birth, we were literally birthed into death. But Jesus offers us life and life abundantly. Amen? And God does not want us to to just be intellectually aware of sin, but to understand its strongholds, its lies, its ramifications against others and ourselves. I have a story of a friend that I really admire, who after this friend came to Jesus and recognized Jesus actively working in his life. He came to me some time ago and he said, you know, I've done some things in my life that if found out, I should go to jail. I said, well, yeah, there's probably a lot of people like that. He felt conviction. He felt the weight of the sin that he had committed. And he said, you know, I think I should turn myself in. I said, what are we talking about? And so he talked about his offense that he had done to a young lady. And I said to my friend, I said, you know, why don't you just write her a letter and apologize for what you did? And even say to her, if you want to use this letter as a, as a way to get me uh, arrested and pay for my sins, then I'm willing to do that. But I wronged you. I hurt you. And I want you to know I'm sorry. And I apologize. And that's what my friend did. Very proud of that person because that's what conviction does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It says, if I've wronged someone, I have to go and I have to apologize to that person. No matter the consequences, I wronged them. So God doesn't just want us to be intellectually aware of sin. He wants us to recognize that when we hurt someone, we need to go to that person. We need to apologize I posted this week a statement that some of you saw on Facebook. I really like it a lot. Satan's strategy is simple. Make sin look normal and make righteousness look strange. Do not be deceived. Every single one of us is being transformed either into the image of Jesus or into the image of the world. So the Holy Spirit is there to convict each one of us of the deception and the bitterness of sin. My mind goes back also to that biblical character that you and I all all you know we can think fairly fondly about but he he certainly was a sinner. He looked and he lusted and he took Bathsheba in. And soon she would return to tell King David that she was pregnant. And ashamed and hoping to hide his sin, his moral failure, he brought Uriah home so that no one could know of his sin. And when that didn't work, King David, as a last-ditch effort to cover his sin, had, imagine that, had, had Uriah himself bring his death warrant to be put into the front of the battle... And Uriah would die. When the news came back that Uriah was dead, he brought Bathsheba into the palace to comfort her and then, of course, have what he wanted all along. Now, we all think from time to time, what difference does it make? My, my sin is, is just a small little piece in a big picture and no one will ever find out. No one will ever know. Well, guess what? God knows. Right? God knows. I've had people say that to me before. No one will ever find out. Yeah? Well, God knows. And I'll just be blunt with you guys. I have to to make a commitment to my wife. My wife will know. If I've done something that's wrong, I have to tell her. Because I don't want want secrets to be a, a wall in my relationship with my wife. There's a saying that I've owned in my life, our secrets make us sick. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I I, I really believe that. Part of the biggest problems in relationships is these secrets we try to manipulate so that no one finds out. And then here's here's another kicker. It's off subject, but I'll just say it real quick. We tell someone very precious to us a secret, not so that they can Kick us and beat us up, and we we tell them a secret so that we can have a a prayer partner. We can have somebody who can encourage us, someone who can lift us up, someone who can say you're a sinner just like me, and and together we're gonna come to Jesus. I've worked with people who are having almost or into an affair, and and you know I I've said to husbands I said or to wives that said, well, when, when did you want to know about your husband having an affair? When he first had an inkling, an idea, or, or way, way down the road? You know? I've, I've actually had to go to my wife and say, honey, I want to tell you something. There's, you know, so-and-so, oh, yeah, well, I, I feel an attraction, and I don't want that, but I, I'm just letting you know. Well, guess what that does to that attraction? takes it away disappears. She doesn't beat me up, she doesn't make me feel like I'm some foreign alien. No, I'm a human being and she is my prayer partner. Amen. So as we work with each other and we say things in a, in in private sometimes to somebody, we're not saying it so we can get beat up. We're saying it because we want someone to pray with us, support us. That's all part of the family of God. It wouldn't be long before King David had a visitor. And even though King David thought he had wiped it under the carpet, it had not been wiped under the carpet. I I, I really like the way Nathan, and I, I don't know if God told Nathan to do it this way or if Nathan just thought about it, but Nathan definitely knew what had happened. So Nathan goes to King David and, and says, Hey, King David, you know, there's this wealthy guy. There's this really, really wealthy guy with all these sheep and cattle and everything. And, and oh, he is just, just amazingly wealthy in your kingdom. And he, 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 wanted, to, he wanted to have a, a meal. And so he went to his neighbor who was very poor. He only had one ewe, just one lamb. And he took that lamb to, to, and killed it to eat it. Can you believe that, King David? Oh, King David was furious. How dare that man do something of such injustice? And then Nathan looked right at him. <laughs> you are that man. And it cut David to the core. There was conviction. David suffered. In fact, frankly, the whole nation of Israel suffered. That's The, the, the nation of Israel was split in two. The baby died, David cried, our sins matter. And so when we come to God, we come because of the Holy Spirit with full, unreserved openness that I'm a sinner and God, this is no news for you, but I come to you because you're the repairer of my heart, amen? Amen. You're the only one who knows me and can take the jumbled up mess of my life and make it shine as a testimony of your grace. God wants us to do more than just acknowledge sin and its consequences. He wants to convict us that it hurts and it's destructive oh, it's okay, I can get away with this, no one will notice, no one, no, God knows. I know, I know, I have to live with it. That's why I don't want it in my life. I don't want it, and that, by the way, when I say that, it's because of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit makes me not want it. The Holy Spirit allows me to turn to God to remove those strongholds in my life. Through God's Spirit, David would lead a prayer of uh, sincerity that was just incredible. Of course, we know it as Psalms 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I don't know how many of you have prayed that prayer before, but I certainly have. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Thank you, sweetheart. (laughs) I gotta be able to see what I'm doing here. (laughs) The Spirit not only convicts, us of sin. And we spent a whole sermon on that, but the but heaven's full and sufficient beauty of Christ's righteousness. Okay? The Holy Spirit reminds us and lets us know that we are sufficient in Christ's righteousness. We talked about that. It's a liberating truth that the history of Jesus becomes our history god's spirit does so much more than just point out sin and leave us in a guilt-ridden place it directs us to the fact that we are covered with the righteousness and the forgiveness of christ and it empowers us to break free of those chains and live a life that pleases god and lifts up other people no wonder Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1.29, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. As someone once said, God formed us, sin deformed us, the Bible informs us that Jesus transforms us, amen? It's beautiful, in other words, because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, addictions do not have to be that chain of hold upon us. We, they can be broken. We can all testify to that, amen? They can be broken. I've seen them be broken. We can be free in the truth of Christ's righteousness. And it's not that, it's not that we are doing something good. It's that we are allowing his goodness to do something good in us. Now, i got a story I've got to share with you. This is just really a cool story. In fact, you can look it up on the, um, on, online. So this little boy in 2014, little boy, he, uh, he was outside playing in his, in his front yard, and a big old car stopped by, And the little boy was just standing there. He was about nine years old, eight, nine years old. And a guy got out of the car, grabbed him, threw him in the car, and took off. Little Willie Mayrick from southwest Atlanta. Stolen. room in the back seat, locked the doors, began to drive off. Now, little Willie loved to sing. And little Willie, he knew how to praise God with music. In fact, he went to a church where there was a lot of praise music. And he just thought, you know what? I was always told when I got into trouble and scary moments, just praise the Lord. And so that's what he decided to do. And here's what he began to sing. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is due to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God my Savior. God my healer. God my deliverer. Yes he is. Yes he is. Yes he is. Yes he is. is. Every praise is to our God every word of worship with one accord every praise every praise is to our God can you imagine that for three hours (laughs) for three hours that little boy just kept on praising God and that guy driving kept cursing and swearing and telling him to stop finally he stopped the car and kicked the kid out of the car He opened the door, threw him out. He told little Willie, don't tell anyone about this. And the man left. And you know, the man was never, never caught. But Willie went home, praising God. <laughs> now, now, we don't know... We don't know what was troubling that young man that was driving that car and that did that to that little boy. We don't know what was troubling him. We don't know his background. We don't know his story. But here's what we do know. He got an earful of praise and worship (laughs) for three hours long. And just suppose, just suppose, somewhere in his story as he spends time in jail, because that's not the first time he's done something wrong, nor the last Just suppose that man, the Holy Spirit begins to convict his heart of all the praise and worship that that little Willie did for three hours long. That we would would believe that by God's grace, this man doesn't have to be titled an abductor the rest of his life. He may pay for the consequences of his sin, but the point is this God can and does change lives. The mighty, the almighty, can change desires and addictions and habits, don't have to stay with us. And we do not have to surrender to their unyielding power because we can praise God and the chains can be broken. The Bible says that in Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Let us then, let us then, listen now, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. With confidence so that we also may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is there with our Heavenly Father applying the mercy and the grace that we need, and making it effectual so we can experience it through the Holy Spirit. Now, the third one, and he will come and he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness of judgment. and judgment. Then it says about judgment because the prince of this world, verse 11, now stands condemned. Now, we know that the prince of this world is none other than Satan himself. In fact, in John 14, verse 30, Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold over me. Now, at the beginning, we were talking about O.J. Simpson and the trial of the century. But this whole gospel situation is a very legal case. And the enemy has been referred to in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, as the accuser of our brethren. Because in a court you have a prosecutor, an accuser. And you know what? Here's the deal he's accusing you and I as being sinners, and you know what? He's exactly right. <laughs> he 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 can't accuse us, for we are guilty. We are lawbreakers. We are lustful. We are prideful. We are proud and boastful. We are not innocent of the charges. We are guilty in every way. And that's why we have an advocate. Amen? (laughs) Praise the Lord. We may be fully guilty as sinners. But here's the, here's the really beautiful thing. The accuser is even of more guilt. <laughs> and what does it say? He now stands condemned. The accuser is condemned think about satan the father of lies the master of deception the source of all evil he is the grand mark you know the grand monarch of all evil and accusations and so yeah we stand guilty in the court case as the accuser may fault, uh, show us our faults and our shames but for us there is one who comes forward there is one who comes forward with blood on his white garment and scars on his hands and feet. And he, the Lord Jesus, is our defender. And he speaks to all the witnesses in the court. I have redeemed them with my blood. I am one who has never sinned And remain fully, holy, righteous. And I took on their consequences. I took on their wickedness. I took on their waywardness and their iniquities. And I stand fully as their redeemer. For they have now put on my clothes of righteousness. Amen. What a savior. John 16.10 says about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And that is a significant and beautiful fact of Scripture, that Jesus would tell us from 2,000 years ago, the accuser who condemns us in the end, he himself is the one who is finally condemned. Jesus makes it clear that the enemy will lose all his arguments against the children of the redeemed. Jesus states plainly that there is a fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Not for you and I. It's for the devil and his angels. And what is the Holy Spirit God wants to convict us of? Convict us of judgment. That judgment will happen. And that judgment will be a day of vindication for God's people. It is a blessed day. It is a day when all evil will be completely abolished. Every trace of wickedness, sinfulness, and sorrow will be swallowed up in that fire and will be totally destroyed when, with Satan and everything attached to his kingdom. I love the text in Ezekiel 28, 18 and 19. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out of you, God says, and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching, all the nations who knew you are appalled at you, and you have come to a horrible end and will be no more. I am so thankful, dear family, for the sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit. He reminds me that I bring nothing good to the table of salvation but my sinful self. The Holy Spirit assures me that Jesus is more than all I need and he prompts me with his power to live a godly life So that it won't be my efforts, it won't be my goodness, it won't be my energy. It is His energy that so powerfully works in each one of us. And finally, He, the Holy Spirit God, reminds us and declares that judgment will be in favor of the saints and destruction for the enemy. God will right all injustice, heal all sorrow, and He will be redeemed. This week, there were many tears cried at my home this week. And I'm not going to try to hold myself together here today, but this week we, we knew for the last couple weeks that a dear girl who was raised in our Auburn community and many times was in our home because she was close, close friends with our youngest daughter, she had been sick, she had been on a lung machine, She was put in place to get a lung transplant. And just this week, our daughter called us and told us that, Dad, they've taken her off the lung transplant because she has cancer. Within four hours of us learning about that, she was dead. She was an amazing young lady with an incredible spark. For life. She was talented. She was a musician. In fact, she lived in Tennessee. She was actually recording music. She was just an amazing young lady. And on her Facebook, and this has been on there for some time, is under her picture, there's a scripture that she has. It's a scripture we always read at our 12 step regeneration program. And it's 2 Timothy 1 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind you see the enemy took his shot and wounded a dear family but mother sherry fletcher wrote this week i can only give one answer to this wound jesus he is all that matters i've been to the back of the book i've read how it ends the bible tells me that there was war in heaven the bible tells me that satan was cast out of heaven and then it tells me rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you he is filled with fury." for he knows his time is short. Consider that for a moment. I I don't know how long Satan lived as Lucifer in God's kingdom. It could have been tens of thousands of years. We certainly know that after he became loose uh, Satan and, and came to this earth, that's been for thousands of years already. But the verdict is in. The countdown has started. And he knows prophecy better than you and I, and he's very aware of the signs of the end all around him. And in the court, there is a sentencing phase, and he's been found guilty. And there's an execution phase, and he is fast approaching his execution. So because of all this, the Bible tells us that he is filled, because of his short time, he is filled with fury. Shorter the time, greater the fury. So I can only say to my dear family today and to myself, hang on, it's only a matter of time, hang on. We're going to see the planet get darker. We're going to see God's children vehemently be hated by Him. Even those covered by the righteousness of Jesus, everyone is going to be a target of the enemy. But we must understand that because of his condemned judgment, he especially has his target on you and I, those who are saved by the blood of the Lamb. How he would love it if you quit church, if you quit God, if you quit prayer, if you quit worship. Oh, how he would love it. I want to ask your family, have you experienced his fury lately? Have you felt his arrows, his attacks? Have you seen the carnage and the toll he takes on this planet and of his, God's children? The fires, diseases, the moral confusion at an epidemic level. This world literally is falling apart. I just read a news article just this morning that popped up on my news feed that in 2022 was the highest incidence of suicides in America ever recorded last year. It's going up every single year, but the incident of percentages went up higher than it has ever gone before. This defeated foe is not going to give up easily. Execution day is coming, and until all that happens, he's going to try to slaughter each one of us with some type of way in which we can somehow curse God, forsake God. The Bible tells us that we are not abandoned, we are not forsaken, we are not forgotten. He lives ever every day to intercede for us. He gives us abundant mercy. He cleans us with his grace. He gives us power for a changed life. And Paul testifies: we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is not from God, not from, from God, but not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but we are not destroyed. Amen. God is calling each one of us to tap in to the gift of his holy spirit. To be convicted that you are a sinner in need of a savior. To be overwhelmed With the truth that Christ's righteousness covers you completely and has given you freedom. And finally, to hold firm to the truth that our accuser has been found wanting and will be judged condemned while we are covered by the blood and pardoned and vindicated in the righteousness of Jesus. One day, dear family... We will hear the words of our dear friend Jesus say to us, enter now into the joy of your salvation.
0: Let's stand for the closing hymn, and sing loud and clear, for we are redeemed. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am redeemed, 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 redeemed by the blood of the And so happy in Jesus no language my rapture can tell I know that the light of his presence with me does continually dwell redeemed redeemed redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Child and forever I am. I know there's a crown that is waiting In Yonville's bright mansions for me. And soon with the saints made perfect At home with the Lord I shall be redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am.
1: Amen. Gracious Lord God, we give you praise. We exalt your name above all. We thank you, dear Lord Jesus, that... In and of ourselves, there is no way for us ever to receive eternal life. But in you, our salvation is made certain. And by faith, we take hold of the promises of your salvation. We claim them as ours. We thank you, Jesus, that we one day be vindicated Not because we have done anything righteous, we will be vindicated because we are covered with the blood that was spilt for us. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray that we would enter in not into a religion, but into a relationship with you. I pray, Jesus, that every day we would wake up and invite that Holy Spirit to bring conviction into our life. That Holy Spirit, God, that you would be active and present in every area of our life. Help us to hate sin, to despise it, and to desire righteousness, and to love it. So now, may the love of God, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us both now and forevermore, we pray. Amen.